0: Hey, sister, if you have been struggling with infertility, we have quite the story for you. This woman waited for 75 years before conceiving. Any guesses who it was? Tune in to find out. Hey, sister, welcome to For the Love of Hormones podcast. If you have struggled with finding satisfying solutions to your fertility, pregnancy, and hormone issues, you're in the right place. Maybe you're ready to feel heard and supported beyond a quick doctor visit and prescription medication. If you're ready for a real conversation about how God fits into the holiness of hormones, women's healthcare, natural remedies, and the Bible's view on fertility, welcome. For the love of hormones, ditch your afternoon cup of joe and sip on some mood-boosting matcha green tea with me, Becca Yan, Certified Fem Educator and Hormone Coach, as we discuss with Dr. Jamie Eller more about the holiness of hormones.
1: All right. Let's join together in prayer before we start today. Father God, thank you for this moment to come together and discuss these difficult topics that we are going to conquer today. Lord, I just invite your presence to this space. Holy Spirit, I pray for your guidance while we navigate through these conversations and help us to be sensitive to these topics and help give us courage to listen and to be open to what you would like us to hear from you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. All right. So we are uncovering—I wonder if you know who it is, listeners. Okay, so let's make our listeners guess a little bit about who this woman is. 75-year weight, that's not a firm number. It is a an estimate. This woman is from the Old Testament, and she was married to a really big deal kind of guy. His name is Abraham. So I'm sure you guys know who it was by now. It's Sarah. So sweet, sweet Sarah. She went through a lot. So this is the woman that we are uncovering today and walking through the lens of, man, what she struggled with with infertility for that long And we're just going to kind of take some time to journey with her today, journey through this story and kind of uncover things. So Dr. Jamie, when it comes to Sarah, like, what do you know about her story? How do you connect with her? We'll start with that.
1: So yeah, how do I relate to Sarah? We will definitely probably get into that. For those who don't know, she struggled a long time waiting for her baby. And personally, I'm I'm in Sarah's boat. So, um, definitely can relate to her as many, as well as many other women out there today who are struggling with infertility.
0: Yeah, it's really tough to look through. So, what we're going to kick off with is just Sarah's journey. So, what do we know about Sarah? At first, Sarah was Sarai. That was her original name before God gave her a new name. And at the time that Sarai was given to Abraham, We don't actually know how old she was, but I did a lot of research to kind of figure out what could that age have been. And according to Ezekiel, typically women were given into marriage around puberty. And so then I did more research to figure out like, well, we know what the average age of puberty is today. But what could that have been in ancient Israel times? And basically the answer, it's not anything super exciting. It's pretty much about the same. So really, truly 7 to 14 years old was around the average time of girls hitting puberty, even at that in, wait, like way, way, way back <laughs> towards the beginning of the world, right? But really 15 years old at the latest. So if Sarah was 15 years old at the latest, that she was given to Abraham in marriage, or it was Abraham at the time. Then she finally gave birth at 90. So that's where we come up with this 75-year wait. So let's just kind of pause on that and reflect on 75 years. So Dr. Jamie, can you, would you be open to like sharing with us how long maybe you've been dealing with this for? And just thinking about Sarah and waiting for 75 years and kind of what that means to you.
1: Yeah, I have have nothing on Sarah. (laughs) Right? Uh, And I hope, I hope I don't have that long to wait. Yeah, so 75, right? It's quite a long promise to wait on. I have been, let's see here. I got married during the lockdown and COVID. So I locked it down during lockdown. And we said we wanted to wait at least a year Before conceiving, so it's going on almost three years of actively trying. It's been two and a half years of actually trying to have a baby, and it's not very long. And some women, I I know, I know a lot of women who, in my personal life and through my professional life, that have waited several years, and so. So it's, but you know what? It doesn't matter how long you're waiting, whether it's a year or ten years or fifteen. It's not any less painful. So I don't ever want to like discredit anybody's wait time. I I've I certainly know how it feels wanting something so bad and wondering why it's not happening yet. So definitely don't want to discredit anybody's wait. It's all it's painful no matter what. Yeah
0: absolutely and it's just i know everyone's at a different place and different things trigger but i mean even just even this story can be a trigger for people you know and being around a pregnant woman or a woman with a baby or a family can just be hard mhm
1: that's why i want to talk about it cuz i love talking about these things even i mean how else are you going to i mean you got to live through it anyway right so you might as well you might as well process it and identify your strengths and your weaknesses and figure out how to get through this season.
0: Right. So for Sarah, it comes right off the bat with, and I'm just going to stick with Sarah. Like technically she's Sarah. I at this moment that I'm referring to, but I'm just going to stick with Sarah. Okay. So it just comes right off the bat with, she was childless. Like they got married, she was childless. So that's what kind of led me to believe, okay, she was probably really young and obviously way back in the day, They didn't do any type of pregnancy prevention or avoidance. There was no need for that. Children were 10,000% seen as a blessing and a gift from the Lord. And it immediately says she was childless. So in my mind, I'm presuming that means, I mean, they must have known within a few months or I don't know, around six months or so that like, okay, Sarah's not getting pregnant. So she must have known at such a young age so I was trying to reflect and think on, and Dr. Jimmy, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but because we know what what some of the common causes of infertility today are, but thinking of like what could what are those causes now, and could those causes have been the same back then? So some of the things that came to my mind was the Lord closing the womb. Cause I know that it is mentioned sometimes in scripture that God did do that. It is not mentioned in this specific case. So it doesn't say that the Lord closed her womb. It just said that she was childless. Anyway, so I'll touch on that. But then I'd kind of love to hear your thoughts of just like kind of getting in her shoes and thinking of why, even from a doctor's perspective,
1: looking back on ancient times. Absolutely. Do you want to do you want to finish your thoughts and then I'll jump in with the medical stuff? Yeah. So I I mean, I think those are my main thoughts. So there was that, the Lord closing
0: the womb. You know, I thought about endometriosis. I don't know if that would have been as pertinent back then. Obviously there's polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. We don't know what her cycles were like. Like we just don't know a lot, but it would be interesting to kind of just reflect on potentially what could have been happening on an endocrine level.
1: Yeah, sure. So I will hit you with some statistics um, I know you like those. As of right now in the United States, as far as infertility, it affects 9% of men and 11% of women in the U.S. And worldwide, that's um, one out of six people worldwide. It's, sim- it's about a similar rate for women in the United States. I didn't write that down. I forget. But it's about one, I think, one in eight, one, one to six or one in eight. And in the first year, one in five young couples are unable to conceive after one year. And then as far as the medical field, where I see this a lot with my fellow colleagues, one in four women physicians struggle with infertility. One in four. Yeah. So it's very, I have several friends and colleagues that I've trained with that Have had to do all sorts of stuff and, or ultimately end up tried everything and ultimately end up adopting. And these are young women. These are women in their early 30s, you know, late 20s struggling with infertility. So, why are women physicians, you know, impacted more? Obviously, stress has a big part of it. And that's the thing about the body. And that's what I love to educate my patients on your body does not differentiate one type of stress from the other. Stress is stress. Just like I was teaching my niece earlier this week about sin and God doesn't see little sins and big sins. It's just sin is sin. And to the body, stress is stress. And so it doesn't matter if it's emotional, financial, a physical stress, an infectious illness, it's just stress. So if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not getting good nutrition, you're running all day with no bathroom breaks and not eating, that all takes its toll on the body and and that's just part of being in the healthcare field in general, but when you're a physician in training, it's very intense physically and mentally. So, that's a huge part in general of why I I feel there's a lot of infertility issues. Other things are just underlying conditions that maybe we don't realize. Maybe we have a thyroid issue. We're low on essential uh, minerals and vitamins like folate and iron and things that support our uterus and our metabolism. Maybe we're taking a medication that we don't realize is affecting our fertility. And a very common one is ibuprofen taking that regularly can throw off your cycles and ovulation. So man, I could just go all day on that. <laughs> yeah, ibuprofen, I know it's like a blood thinner. So how does it
0: in particular impact fertility?
1: So it's not a blood thinner. It's actually a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And so it actually affects a pathway that has to do with inflammation, like at the very beginning stages, and of of like prostaglandins being made and all that, how it actually affects ovulation, I don't want to go into that because I don't want to misspeak on it. <laughs> so that's something I could let, get back to you on for sure.
0: Yeah, that's like very interesting to think about, and that's honestly one of the first go tos that women go to when they're on their period, you know, mm-hmm. to
1: reduce pain. So there are other options out there, ladies, for sure. For sure, for sure. And other common things is, um, you know, you've you've said this before, being on the birth control pill is a known or any sort of uh, contraceptive, hormonal contraceptive, puts you at an increased risk for, for infertility. Yeah. I would have to say, though, I think stress is the biggest one. And people just don't realize how much that can affect your cycles, especially in younger people. And maybe you've experienced this. I certainly did. I got so stressed out, like your cycle gets delayed and you think, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. And then you're like, I'm not. And what that, you're like, what in the world's going on? (laughs) Yeah. But it's all stress.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. And and
1: I'll speak to that in a spiritual sense too, in that this is just my personal belief. As a Christian woman, but I think sometimes us women are operating outside of our God given roles, and that we are taking on more than we're supposed to be taking on. The secular culture is that we are just as good and as strong as men, and we should be doing all all of those things and trying to be mothers and and everything else and i just think you know that's operating you know and and not, nothing against that if women who can and want to and do that i mean i have no room to talk i am a private practicing physician and sometimes i'm thinking what in the world am i doing i should be at home raising babies but i think there's a there is a balance point and you you really have to check in with yourself and and be like am i operating outside of what god has for me am i trying to do more than what god has Wants me to do, not that you can't, but what is your purpose? Is your purpose to climb the the leadership ladder at some organization that ultimately doesn't care about you, or is is your calling to spend more time with your family, or you know deepen your relationships with people? And I mean, that's just my t- my two cents of, of like why I think we're struggling with infertility from a female sense.
0: Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Could you pinpoint like maybe the top two or three potentials of what Sarah may have been going through? Cause obviously she wasn't dealing with all the toxicity, you know, the synthetic stuff that was
1: going on. Right. We didn't yeah, all the xenoestrogens. She had it made back then. Right. She didn't <laughs> so so back in that culture, maybe there was, you know, there's always infectious and parasites sort of stuff. So and this was before, you know, Abram stepped into his promise of gathering all these provisions and sheep and servants and everything. So maybe they were malnourished a little bit or, you know, maybe, you know, you just never know. And times in general were just maybe probably be more physically demanding back then.
0: Yeah. So I want to jump in with that because that's a cool thought to think on. Like, was it physically demanding And then I want to kind of keep going with her story here. So she finds out Genesis 11, verse 30, she was childless and unable to conceive. And then right after that, we go into chapter 12 and God tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. It's the first promise that, hey, I've got big plans for you. Your wife is not able to conceive, but actually I have something so great. You can literally (laughs) not fathom how great it is, and you are going to be the father of so many people. Like, that's what God tells Abraham. And all throughout, there's actually four promises that God tells Abraham this four times before we go to this kind of, uh, what's the, uh, you know, like a plot line in a movie? I can't think of the right word. The climax. The climax. Okay, so we get to the climax of this struggle that Abraham and Sarah are dealing with. And all throughout this time, before before we get to the climax, I want to just kick off. So Sarah is childless. And then God's like, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then God tells, again, chapter 12, verse 7, to your offspring and to your seed. I thought that was very interesting. To your seed, I will give you this land. And then we go on some side trails and some rabbit tells, um, in terms of the story of the climax. I don't know. There's almost two climaxes in this story. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, one one side trail was Sarah was forced to pretend like she wasn't married to Abram because he was afraid that the Egyptians would kill him because of how beautiful she was.
1: I like that you mentioned that because that goes right back to what I just said a little bit ago and that she was not living in her, her role, her purpose. She was masquerading as something else.
0: Oh, that makes me so sad for her. I mean, this whole situation is really sad
1: in general, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. It's sad, yet there's like, it's like this covering of hope because God is saying like, hey, I've got something great for you. Not just I've got something great for you. I know the plans I have for you. He's literally telling them, I'm going to give you a lot of babies. Like he's telling them, or not necessarily a lot of babies, but like a ton of descendants.
1: I know what I would be thinking if I was Sarai at that moment. You know, because she had to do that twice, right? Yeah. And so, and pretend to be, play the part of a sister, which she actually was his sister. I'll have to write it down. I I wrote it down somewhere, but it's later on. It's after chapter 20. I think I underlined it. Yep. It's in chapter 20. uh, If you want to look for it, but uh, Abram does say that he, she is truly my sister and that they shared the same father. So, I know if I was her and this has happened twice now or I've had to play the role of a sister and now I can't have babies no matter what I say or do or cry or pray for my thought process would immediately go to well that's what I get because instead of being the wife I played the role of a sister and that's you know that's that's where my mind would go if I were her
0: Yeah, man, I hadn't really dug into that thought very much. And maybe we can connect this to where our identity is. For those of us who are struggling with infertility, like what are the lies of Satan about our identity for why we're not conceiving right now? Because that's exactly what Sarah or Sarai was dealing with, like a lie, from Satan. Not necessarily a lie. I mean, if that was the truth, like she was his half-sister, but that wasn't her purpose. Right. Her purpose was to be the wife of Abraham, the father of many, many descendants. So they're kind of going along this thing. And I do want to also note that, you know, they're receiving these promises and they're on a very big journey. They are traveling from Haran to Canaan, here's my notes, and it was a 400-mile journey. And I'm just imagining this, like here's this woman, and she was actually 65 years old at the time that they set out on this journey. So she has now been dealing with this, uh, you know, desiring to have children, the Lord promising that they are going to have children. And now they're on this 400 mile journey. So, so often when we hear this Bible story of Abraham being called to move and him being obedient, I have personally never heard it told from Sarah's perspective. And so that's our goal here is we want to put ourselves into Sarah's eyes for how, where was her heart in all this? What was she specifically struggling with and dealing with? And she was 65 years old. That means she had been dealing with infertility for probably about 40 years at this time. And now they're going on to a 400-mile journey, like on foot or donkeys or whatever they had. And wow, that would have kind of wreaked a lot of havoc on her body. I don't know. Let's just kind of pause on that and reflect on traveling and stress. I mean, we've talked about stress a good bit, but let's just pause and reflect on that.
1: Yeah, so that is quite a journey. Who who knows how long that took them? And she's probably thinking, we haven't ran into the Hagar yet, right? So it's just her and her servants, right? And she's, yeah, you're probably thinking, man, I wish I had some kiddos here to help me out with all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like... <laughs> I say that all the time. I was like, I have my little ranch and I was like, I need some little ranch hands. I can't keep I don't have time to keep looking for these eggs. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Little ranch hands. Yes, Lord, let it be. So, I mean, she's 65 at this point, going on this massive journey, needing some little ranch hands to, to take all their belongings, all of this. I was doing some reflecting on at what age did women go into menopause at this time? So... I did some more research and kind of interesting thing looking at the timeline, but from the female perspective on menopause in the body throughout uh, biblical history. So as far as it goes with men, Adam lived to be 930 years. Abraham lived to be 175 years. Moses lived to be 120. David lived to be 70. Daniel lived to be 80. And basically from Adam, we have beginning of creation Daniel at the tail end of what I just referenced goes up to 600 BC. So we have this kind of time period of the ages are slowly degenerating. That would be an interesting podcast episode to talk about like climate. I don't know all that on fertility, but I I reference all that because Aristotle is one of the only historical figures who referenced menopause. Um, And he said that this was around 350 BC, Okay, so this was more close to Daniel's timeframe when they were living as old as we do today. And Aristotle referenced that the age of menopause was around 40 years old. So that's actually 10 years earlier than where we're at currently today. Today, the average age of menopause is 51. So looking back even farther, I did a lot of math and a lot of crunching, and I'm going to save you guys the bore. But basically... (laughs) Sarah, when she actually had her baby at 90 years old, it would have been like a 65-year-old having a baby today who had never conceived before. So that's kind of like the timeline. And Jamie, you're looking at me like, I want to hear what you're thinking right now. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Now, that is a true geriatric pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> cuz i think it's the age 35 that that term gets thrown around like your geriatric pregnancy cuz you know you're waiting to the towards the end of fertility and i'm like well i'm 37 now and i'm just like i'm going <laughs> to be a geriatric pregnancy by the time i get here <laughs> but no that was that's a true geriatric preg- pregnancy and so that's interesting I wonder if, if Aristotle was referencing perimenopausal symptoms or true menopause, but maybe it really was menopause because there there is a point in history where, I mean, you can look back at all these old pictures, eighteen early eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds, or late eighteen hundreds, I should say, and those people look rough, right? I mean, even just looking back at like teenagers from the 80s, they look like they're in their 30s and 40s. Sorry, mom. But <laughs> it was a meme that came across my Instagram not too long ago. And it's like, these teenagers look rough. I'm like, they do. They look like they're 30. There is a point where our quality of life improved, right? Our standards of living improved. Our access to to medicines and things improved. So maybe that has something to do with the shifting of m- maybe menopause starting to be a little closer to the f- the average age of 50, 52. So that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. Sarah in particular, she lived to 127 and then she died. So it's pretty fascinating, but we can pretty fairly well presume that by age 65 on this beginning of this journey from Heron to Canaan everyone would have probably just assumed she's done. Like, there's no way. You know, I mean, if we looked at a 60-year-old woman today who've been struggling with infertility, we'd be like, there's no way. Everyone would say that. You know, like, you're, you're done. You're in menopause. Like, there's no possible way. So I'm sure at this point, I wonder. I wonder if she's just given up. Which leads us to our answer. <laughs> yes, she did give up. It was kind of crappy. So I just want to say, before she made Abraham sleep with Hagar, God had told Abraham four times that he would be the father of countless descendants. And not just that, but the last time before Sarah brought up the idea of like, just, I can't give you children, just take my maidservant. Before she brought up that idea, God specifically told Abraham that his descendants would be of Abraham's flesh and blood, not of someone from his household. That's literally what God said, because Abraham was like, well, can you just choose someone from my household to be my heir? Because clearly it's not happening. And God said, no, this is going to be from your own flesh and blood. So I want to just pause there and give them a little bit of credit, because we see the whole story. We know what happened. They didn't know. They didn't know. So I did have a thought of like, did they think possibly that, that God was referencing only Abraham's seed? And not Sarah's part that God was promising for these descendants. Like, is that could that have been a thought in their mind? Which I think is a lie, and I want to talk about it. But that could have been an honest, genuine thought of like, well, Sarah's like, well, maybe I'm just not it. Maybe I'm just not enough. And fine, take my maidservant. So I don't know. I just want to pause and give them some credit here because I know this was a huge struggle.
1: Yeah, for sure, and. You know, I've read this so many times and until this very moment, I didn't I just had this like comparison come and I was like, wow, okay. So the God's told him not just one time, but like four times now that this is what's gonna happen. And this is almost like a test and a test of his faith. And and then my mind was brought to the garden and how like a comparison of Eve and Sarai. And that she approaches her husband with a proposition or to do something. And this is a test of the man to know his role, to know, to have faith and obedience in what God has told him. Yeah. I've never had that thought before reading this. It is. That is like,
0: it's the classic fall. Mm -hmm. represented here because the classic fall was Adam was like okay sure I'll go along with this even though I know it's disobeying God and surely Abraham must have had that in the back of his head of like okay sure I'll go along with what you want to do even though this is kind of not what God said well that's rough so ladies let's reflect on that for ourselves like where are we at within our marriage and where are we trying to pull our husband if it may not be in the will of god because that is that is our curse our curse is to rule over our husbands and we saw that in adam Eve's example we are seeing it here in abraham and sarah's example that's tough
1: Mm -hmm. for sure
0: okay so i wanted to just pull out like really reflecting on this so for those of you who don't know the story basically sarah gave up and she told abraham I can't do this anymore. I'm not giving you a baby. Like we've got to make this happen. So please take my servant Hagar and sleep with her and have children, have a child through her. And Abraham said, okay. And so that's what happened. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this book. It is phenomenal. I have not read a lot of books repeatedly, like the same book over and over in my life, but there's this one book, it's called God's Smuggler by, I think it's Goodness, you should, I should know. I think it's my brother, Andrew. And he talks about in this book, the royal way versus desperation. And he gives a really interesting story about God's providence. Like he's basically waiting on God to pay his rent. And if he can't pay his rent, then he doesn't get to stay on this mission that he's traveled across the world to go to. And so he's literally like, it's like the hour, like he's been waiting on God to provide the money for the rent and nothing's happening. And he walks outside the door and he looks on the street and on the ground, there's a penny. And he's like, oh, should I take it? I don't know. Like, this isn't, I don't know. Like, maybe I could just take this and I could pay my rent. But he had the Holy Spirit convicted him of, hey, that's not the royal way. Do you really think I'm going to provide for you by giving you like a dirty thing from the ground? No, put it down, go back into the house and wait on me. So he was like, all right. All right this is not the royal way. I don't know what you're up to God, but okay. He was so faithful and so obedient. Like his story is crazy. So he walks back into the house and someone like brings in the mail, like I kid you not like 15, 20 minutes before like he has to pay his rent or they're kicking him out. And he opens it up and it's a check from like someone way back home, like hundreds of miles away. And it pays the exact amount of his rent. And he is, like, he coined that term of That is the royal way. Our God is royal and he will provide for his children in his way, in his time. And so when we kind of think about that and we look at this, you know, really difficult moment of Abraham and Sarah just relenting and kind of giving in, it's not, this isn't the royal way. This isn't what God desired. And we see that in fulfillment. So moving into this a little bit, my husband, Adam, I was talking with him about this story, and I'm so glad I did before we recorded because I did not realize this. So Hagar, we knew, ended up getting pregnant, and she had Ishmael. Ishmael, I did not know this, but he was, Muhammad was the descendant of Ishmael. And so basically out of Abraham and Sarah's decision to, to disobey God and to sin and to give Hagar to Abraham, they bore a child, and Ishmael was given this promise. Um, I'll read it from Genesis 16, 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, said to Hagar, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. So... Muhammad, who was the father of Islam, was a descendant of Ishmael. And so this is the biggest representation, a staggering representation of generational sin. And I want to say this so carefully because this is such a sensitive topic. But I mean, we have to look at the history and we have to look at what happened and the consequences of it and learn from it. I mean, that was a huge outcome of them taking control of into their own hands and what came out of that. You know, Islam is an absolute lie, a false religion, and it was born out of this original sin from Abraham and Sarah. So
1: we can kind of pause and (laughs) sit on that for a second. So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I don't think I realized that. And that just shows, like, God keeps all his promises. He promised he would make them a great nation, and he did. That makes me think about like my own personal story, right? Of like, how far down medical intervention road do you go? And that's, and you know what the answer is? It's different for everybody because for some people, God blesses that road and says, yes, that's the road you need to take. And for some people, that's not the road they need to take. And so like for me, like, I just know. I just know. I just know that I know that I know that that is not for me. I don't feel good about it. It makes me feel yucky. It like to my core, I'm like, nope. And it's not even a thing of like being vulnerable and being a patient and all that. I've been a patient several times. It's just, Holy Spirit's just strongly telling me like, nope, that is not for you. And it's hard, you know, my mom, she'll sit here and say, oh, so-and-so, they went and... They, they looked at the fallopian tubes and did this diagnostic study and it just must've opened something up. And cause they got pregnant like the next month. Have you thought about trying it? And I'm just like, no, I know that is a super uncomfortable experience and I don't want dye shot up into my fallopian tubes. And you, you know, I'm just, I'm good. I'm good. And so, yeah, like, so it's, it's, it's hard. It's easy to say it's, it's easy as a Christian to say if God wants it to work out, then it will. But it's an, it's not it's not as easy to believe that and have faith in that all the time and not lose hope in it, which I have been guilty of. You know, I haven't lost my faith, but I've lost hope at, at certain points in, in my journey. But I mean, that just goes to show even Sarai and Abram created a child outside of God's desire for them. So, I mean, we truly do have free will.
0: (sighs) Yeah. And it's, this is so sensitive in terms of like how we relate to this today and exactly what you just said, because, you know, I've talked with a lot of people who are doing IUI and IVF or are considering it. And, you know, there definitely are really good stories out of it. And then there's also people who are mentally kind of struggle with it of like, is this really is this really what the Lord's calling us to do? You know, it's a
1: question mark. And Oh, I struggled with that. I struggled with just going to get, talk to a guy because I have my own practice and I ha- I can do my own labs. I've worked my own infertility up for the specialist and I knew exactly what was going on with me. But I got I got to a point where I needed somebody else to just listen and just tell me, is there anything else to try? But I struggled with being okay to go and do that because for a while I thought, well, if I do go get medical help, trust the doctors. Does that, that tell God that I don't have faith in His plan? That I'm not waiting on Him? That I'm going to go down another road? And, and then <laughs> one day the Holy Spirit was like, Um, well, silly, you know, God sends you people all the time to help. Don't you think it's okay to go see somebody yourself? And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Thanks for clearing that up. It is okay for me to go see somebody. But it was, it was a really hard internal conflict for quite a few months of like, is that okay? Is that, you know, is that telling God that I don't have faith? And no, it's, it's not.
0: Yeah. So there's this story about the sin of Asa. Basically, it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, if you want to check it out. But he was, he got in some deep trouble for going to the doctor before going to God. So I think that's that's the biggest thing is when we are constantly searching on Google. Like, ladies, if you're if you're Googling an issue before you hit your knees and pray about it, which I am not judging whatsoever. I like we have all done that, right? Like we have all called our mom or called our best friend or talked to our husband or, you know, searched Google or whatever before we come to the Father, the King of all creation, who is sitting above on His heavenly throne and tens of thousands upon thousands of angels are worshiping Him. Like He is there and He is our He is the ultimate healer. God wants us to go to Him first. And when I was preparing for this, something He laid in my heart is just that, You know, when Jesus talked about money, he said, hey, this isn't the root. This isn't evil, but the love of money is evil. And so I feel like when we think of things like doctors and treatments and IUI, IVF, all that, like, is our trust and hope in that or is it in God? If our trust and hope is in these procedures, if it's in these XYZ and it's not in God, we have made these procedures or whatever it is an idol and that is disobeying God. And I think ultimately whatever it is that you're doing to get pregnant and i mean i work with people for this this is like women who are struggling with infertility it is one of my favorite it's just one of my favorite things to work with because unfortunately women's healthcare today is extraordinarily poor in the foundation of preparing for healthy pregnancy and so i love working with women in this but even for the women i work with you know, and we're going very, very natural and digging really deep in towards what your body is telling us and natural things that you can do, changing up your diet, your exercise, your lifestyle, your supplements, like all that kind of stuff. Even though that's natural and that's good, if we're placing that above God and we're not bringing the issue to God, that's still a sin, you know? So when I work with women, I like we put the Lord first. We put the Lord first, we pray. I know I probably make some of my clients mildly uncomfortable with my prayers because I get extraordinarily specific because I know that our prayers do not hit the ceiling and our God is the author of all creation and the maker of our bodies and knows exactly what I'm talking about when I pray over your egg health and your eggs and the one that's gonna be developed and I pray over your husband's sperm and the ones that are good to meet, and I pray over your hormones. Like I pray so specifically because he hears it and he answers it. We even had an answered prayer today. It was super fun with one of my clients. God answered the very specific prayers that I prayed over them, and it was so it was so fun to give Him glory in that. But yeah, I think it's just
1: uh like, are we going to the Lord first? You absolutely nailed that. I mean, I have nothing to add. All I can say is I need some of those very specific prayers. I have a very specific prayer request, Becca. You can, we'll talk about it after the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Awesome.
0: I'm glad I was on on top of it. I know this is so sensitive. But ladies who are listening to this, or if you know someone who has been struggling to get pregnant, number one, I hope you heard Jamie's story and Jamie's thoughts because everyone is in a different space. Some women, number one, are seeking And are trying to find what can I do, you know, and that is what the Lord is asking them to do. You may be listening to this and knowing like God has led you to this podcast, and you are hearing these things for the first time, uncovered and so real and raw and authentic, and towards Him. And He might be asking you to connect with me, or maybe you have talked with someone earlier, and He's putting that person's name on your heart to reach out to. So number one, listen to the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord, submit to Him. And number two, just like stop and reflect as, um, maybe if you're not in the seeking stage, to still just wait on the Lord and be encouraged because Sarah waited on the Lord for a very, very, very long time. And take hope and take encouragement from her story because I don't know if there is another woman who waited that long, 75 years.
1: I'll speak one thing to that. A lot of times we are keeping our own stories to ourselves, our, our struggle stories to ourselves, and we're not telling our friends or our sisters at church. And you would be very surprised how people, you that are in your circle, who are us also struggling or have struggled with infertility and miscarriages, it's More common than you realize, and it's good to be vulnerable and talk about it with somebody else because oftentimes you're gonna, they're gonna actually open up and tell you their story, and you can learn a lot from that person. And it's just good to have somebody that you know that can understand your struggles, you know. Because I'll, I'll speak to like one, one thing. um, To that is, um, I have a, a friend from church who's. Was struggling with miscarriage, and she knew she's like, "Hey, like my thyroid's all weird, blah blah blah." And you know, just you know, I'm not her doctor, but just you know, giving her support and stuff. And then she's like, "How is the baby stuff going?" So I opened up to her, and like, you know, my hormones are insane. I'm practically going through. I am going through premature ovarian failure. I have no estrogen. I can't sleep. I'm going crazy. So baby making's not going great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so but she, you know she we prayed for each other and we had each other we were in each other's corner and eventually she did get pregnant again and she and she had a baby shower and because she knew what I was going through she did not take it personal when I was said I brought her a baby shower gift and I said you know I'm really happy for you but you know this it's going to be too much for me to be there but you know and so she was able to be very accepting of that and that I wasn't able to put myself in a vulnerable situation with that because I knew it would be a trigger for me but if we weren't ever talking to begin with she would have just been like well she don't care she just gave me this gift and she's not even gonna come like you know so it's very important I think to just take a risk and be vulnerable with the people that are close in your circle, because you might be really surprised what the other person's going through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of important things to that and the reason behind for what you just mentioned. And the one I want to highlight is the power of a praying person. Like I said earlier, guys, our prayers do not hit the ceiling. They are ascended into heaven and they are incense in golden bowls at the foot of the throne of Jesus Christ, our King. And he will answer every single one in due time. And so when we do open up and we are vulnerable or we're willing to gently ask a deeper question, like Jamie, you literally said that last night I was at our church's worship night and a girl who I've kind of known, like I haven't known her very well. I served with her in Awana's this past year and we were just talking a little bit. And, um, you know, she mentioned something about my daughter, Ellie, I was holding her and And she was asking how it's doing. I was like, oh, it's good. We're just so thankful for her. You know, we had several miscarriages and she's our triple rainbow. And um, she was like, it's just the hardest thing to go through. She said, I know it is the hardest thing to go through. And I said, have you, have you had a miscarriage? And she said, just so sheepishly, like, yes, I have. And it's just like, it's just heartbreaking. And it's just one of these things where, you know, just it's, it's so hard to talk about, but it's so important. And, especially in the terms of just prayer and connecting. And uh, I was like, girl, I'm going to probably be one of your best friends and resources (laughs) from here on out. So my podcast is about to launch. I hope you're listening now. You know who you are. But um, it's just, yeah, it is really important, you know, number one, to be willing to share. And number two, to be willing to ask a deeper question in such a gentle way. You know, we don't want to be invasive or if it's not the right thing. But um, yeah. So um, I think we'll just kind of wrap this up with just us reflecting on, is this the royal way? Wherever we're at in our journeys, if you are dealing with infertility, or again, if you know someone who is, please share this with them. Um, But whatever you're dealing with or chasing after, is this the royal way? I don't know where you're at. I don't know what doctor you're seeing. I don't know what things you're Googling. Actually, I kind of probably do know what things you're googling, and you need to stop that and find someone good. Um, please, just feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to help you and point you in the right direction. But the most important thing is that God blessed Abraham and Sarah despite their attempts to take control, and it was His way in the end. They, God blessed them with baby Isaac, and it was it was God's way in the end. It wasn't it wasn't through Ishmael. Ishmael was still blessed, but yeah. We just want to reflect on
1: that. Yeah, so I I really like that the royal the royal way, and it can be hard to act the royal way at times because no matter how long you're dealing with, I don't like the word infertility. I'm going to call it conception delay. <laughs> you know no matter how long you're dealing with conception delays, there's that those phases of grief denial, anger, frustration, depression. And sometimes you'll cycle back through them a couple different times. And so in different phases, it's really hard to act the royal way. I mean, a year and a half ago, before I realized I had some hormone issues, man, it's like when you're trying to conceive and you can't, everybody around you is freaking pregnant and their dog. Yeah. I was. I remember standing out at my farm, and I had five heifers, and four of them are pregnant. And I said, "Even the freaking cows can get pregnant." And I'm like, "What in the world is wrong with me?" And I'd go to a Ross, and there's two pregnant ladies right in my face, and 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 and, and I'm just like, "What the heck?" And and then it would get even harder. There'd be even harder situations where. I'm dealing with a very unhealthy mother. Like her health is so poor and she's not taking care of herself. And guess what? She's got the blessing of twins and she doesn't care what happens to them. And she's not getting prenatal care. And and here I am, at the family physician. She doesn't know what I'm struggling with. And I just like, wow, it can be really difficult to act the royal way and not give in to the lies. And the deception of the enemy. And so I'm glad you said that because it's just, I even wrote it down in my notes for today about, think about how you want to act. And and even if that means like, you need to put yourself in a situation before you go there and say like, okay, if somebody asks me this, this will be my response because you're you're ready. You're not going to be thrown off guard. You know, um, at this point, people will be like, me and my husband, they'll be like, so when are y'all going to have kids? And my husband just waits because I say it. I'm like, well, we're just still trying to figure out how all that stuff works. <laughs> you know." <laughs> and it just throws it right back to them and they wish they never even asked me. <laughs> but um, I personally, I never wanted People to walk on eggshells around me. I never want people to have to hide their happiness because of me, because who knows how long that other person has struggled, what they've struggled with, and they're finally enjoying a blessing. And so I never want to take that away from somebody else. And I don't ever want people to change how they have to be around me that that's not godly of me to make people do that so i would say you know really check yourself and realize that your identity is in christ and not in the lies that the devil's trying to tell you for sure
0: i'm gonna segue right into this do you not know have you not heard the lord is the everlasting god the creator of the ends of the earth Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. And guys, we're just, we're going to wrap this up here. And we want to give you some more hope moving forward as well of like, uh, for our next episode, we want to tease you a little bit because we're going to kind of carry this conversation into what are the basics? What are the basics that you should know if you're walking through this and you don't know for, to know like, what should I be doing? Uh, so we're going to go into that in our next episode. Um, that's going to be our next conversation. And it's just going to give you the foundations and basics that if you've never heard these things before, this is what you need to be doing first. And no, this is not what your OBGYN will tell you. So uh, th- I'm just going to leave it with that. <laughs> um, so... In wrapping up today, we just want to thank you guys for listening. If this just tugged on your heartstrings, um, please feel free to reach out to me. But please, before you reach out to me, I want you to pray. I'm calling you to get on your knees and pray if this has just been wrenching your heart. Pray and ask the Lord, God, what is the next thing you're asking me to do? And please just stop and listen to Him. Um, And feel free to reach out to me. Again, I love working with women who are in your shoes. Yeah, and leave us a review. That helps this message to get out to so many people. And we thank you if you have left us a review. Uh, it really helps the ratings and just for this to show up on people's apps. Like that's <laughs> what we want. We just want to show up in someone's earbuds when they're doing laundry unexpectedly and kind of get hit in the face with the glory of the Lord. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah.
1: Dr. Jamie, can you close us out in prayer? I'm going to spin it back on you. because oh, We're going to get one of these specific prayers. <laughs> Oh, Oh, I'll pray for you and everyone. Oh, I love that. Thank you.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, let me pray. Oh, goody. (laughs) Oh, man. Lord Jesus, we come before you. (sighs) Holy Father. Oh, God, you are so good. And you are so holy. And you are the creator of the ends of the earth. You are the creator of all things. And Lord, I pray a very specific prayer. I pray this over Dr. Jamie, and I pray this over the woman who is listening to this, who just resonated with this and has desired a baby for however long, and it is the deepest desire of her heart that you have given her. And so God, wherever she is at in her cycle, I pray, Lord, that um, in her next cycle, or if it does relate to this cycle, Lord, I just pray, Father, for a healthy period. I pray that stress would be so reduced. I pray that you would give her wisdom and guidance in how to thicken her rope of patience and thicken her rope of filling her cup with you so that she can handle stressful events without it chiseling off her rope, Lord, chiseling off her patience. Um, I pray against cortisol spikes. And God, I pray for a healthy, a beautiful egg to be selected by you the Creator, Lord. I pray that egg would be properly stimulated and grown and developed, and I pray that estrogen would rise swiftly and beautifully, and I pray for an abundance of cervical mucus, and I pray for a healthy ovulation. And God, I just ask for a beautiful conception. I pray that you would knit a baby together in her womb. Your works are wonderful, and we praise you. For this baby will be fearfully and wonderfully made by your fingertips god i pray that the journey through the fallopian tube would be wonderful i pray that the baby would healthfully implant into the uterine lining and i pray that her progesterone would be awesome the beautiful levels coming from a healthy functioning corpus luteum i pray for a great um well i just pray that the luteal phase wouldn't end. And I pray that she would continue on in carrying a healthy baby in a healthy pregnancy. And God, ultimately, we pray that you would get all the glory and honor and praise in
1: this. I
0: ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen. That was so beautiful. That was the most beautiful fertility prayer I've ever heard. Thank you so much.
0: Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Is over you and over, over you listeners. So what a beauty of a podcast. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Awesome. All right, guys, we will see you next time. Did you learn something today about God's desire for your hormones? If so, please take a quick minute to review this podcast. It's the best way for more women like you to finally feel heard and understood about their God-given hormones thank you in advance for your review. If you're wanting to connect with me personally, head over to my website in the show notes to learn how. In any case, for the love of your hormones, I hope you enjoyed sipping on your matcha today. It's so much better for you than your afternoon latte. We'll see you guys next time.